to be tea bags. I don't think we have those nope. yet. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Dangerous Chocolate Factory in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 94 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to ignore the dice when they don't say what you want. But first, the rogue traders make a break for it in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Clutch comes through when it really counts, and only when it really counts, in the Character Creation Forge. So our long-running reminder, TP t-shirts are available on TeePublic. And, and TPT notebooks. And TPT swag. We should find other items that begin with T, so it like makes a nice portmanteau. I mean, you know that I love portmanteaus. And I want to thank everybody who backed the Catacon Kickstarter uh, that successfully funded. It's now closed, but um, you know I'm very excited to see people there again this year. So thank you for uh, supporting the RPG Academy. To go and see Shane in person and not me. <laughs> Revel in his... <laughs> bask in his glory. You guys can talk about PRs. Isn't that like... Like a weightlifting thing? Yeah, is that, yeah, is that what that is? Thing, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you post about them. And I think public relations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I always PR deadlift. Mm-hmm. I, I have a public relations firm for my deadlifts. PR for you would be like lifting dead weight. See what I did there? That's nice. <laughs> All right. We also have uh, another Unearthed Arcana. It's actually the last one in the weekly series that Wizards of the Coast was doing. Actually, we're just kind of handling this one for the sake of completeness because it's revi- five revised subclasses that they already covered before. So we're going to run through them pretty quickly. There's the Barbarian Path of the Ancestral Guardian. Uh, This one makes the Barbarian kind of a defender. It's got an actual marking mechanic. It's really flavorful, but it's just really not as powerful as as either of the PHB options for the Barbarian. And actually, that's something that sort of all five of these, that's a category all five of these fall into. Like, they're all fine. None of these are broken. None of these are particularly powerful. There's usually a better option in the PHB. Yeah, but that's a big improvement over how some of these were before the revisions so yeah I yeah happily accept these changes they did a good job of dialing this back the bard has the college of swords which added a fighting style option instead of just taking two weapon fighting you can also take dueling if you want and the scimitar proficiency that you get still does absolutely nothing <laughs> yeah i uh, slashing damage great yeah you already had a short sword proficiency so whatevs the blade flourishes you get are pretty weak, but you do get extra attack, which of course means that you are just worse than the Valor Bard. Then the fighter has Arcane Archer, which is one of those archetypes that we have taken, I think, multiple stabs at trying to create. Mm-hmm. This one, not very good. The magic arrow isn't going to scale for you, so it's pretty bad if you have magic weapons in your game. Yeah, and the Arcane Shot, which is sort of the point of the subclass, you only ever get two uses per short rest and you can only use them once per turn so you can't even throw out burst damage and you never get more uses than that and of course these save dcs are intelligence based and every single one of the options except for one requires a saving throw yeah that's weird because i don't think of the arcane archer as being particularly brilliant yeah they're not like a wizard yeah they're they're a trick archer yeah or like you would like stick a spell in it yeah. You know, but the point wasn't ha ha ha, now you save against my spell. It's if my arrow hits you, the spell affects you. Right, right. I charmed you by stabbing you. <laughs> like all good charms. <laughs> the monk has the way of the Kensei. They did fix the Kensei weapons, which was one of our big complaints about the first version of it. Yeah, the Kensei weapons were like a total different mechanical mm-hmm. class from monk weapons. And, you know, of course, you also got gigantic kensei weapons so you could take two-handed swords and that sort of thing so now they're just monk weapons that's great Uh, you don't deal much damage though but you're very accurate Eh. great (laughs) like i i don't know maybe there's players out there who prefer that 
But I, I know for me, like, I just want to roll a big fistful of dice. Yeah, I would much rather, like, have those extra attacks, mm-hmm. you know? But this gives you other options for your bonus action that aren't as good as two extra attacks. Mm-hmm. And then the Return of the Favored Soul, the Sorcerer Bloodline. It's more focused on healing than the old version was, and you lose the extra hit points, expertise, and the immunity to disease and poison. But you do get the worst wings in the game. <laughs> yeah, they come out as a bonus action. They go away as a bonus action. They also go away if you're incapacitated. Yeah, there are a lot of things that incapacitate you. And then you're going to drop like a rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, normal wings don't do that, although the normal fly spell does, assuming that you're the one who casts it on yourself. Mm-hmm. All right, speaking of the worst wings... Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our uh, Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using the Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. Our Rogue Traders have been captured by Dark Eldar uh, when they made a honeypot out of a captured Imperial Navy frigate. Uh, Along with an unlikely band of companions, you escaped your cell, assassinated one of the leaders of the Dark Eldar, and are hightailing it off the ship. Uh, you made a short pit stop, if you recall, in the Medicaid Bay because your arch-militant Draco lost a hand due to some rash planning. So we had to pick up another hand. Yeah, and and I think you grabbed some other, you know, random augmetic parts. I think it was literally random, right? It was like, <laughs> we grab augmetics, right. and you're like, I'll roll for it later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. You guys have stuff. Crappy augmetics, great. <laughs> you have Imperial Guardsman quality augmetics. And then, like, I think... In later sessions, it was like, do we have any eyes? Because someone, one of us needs eyes now. And you were like, roll. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got eyes. Yeah, <laughs> good work. <laughs> but did I fudge? <laughs> we'll get to that. Also, yes. <laughs> Before you leave the Medicaid Bay, though, you come up sort of with a second plan. So you hack a cogitator terminal and create a diversion. Uh, you basically start powering up one of the hangar bays and attempt to lead the Dark Eldar off in that direction. There's God, basically we... two places you can escape from the ship. So if you lead them one way, maybe you can race them to the other. It was such a brilliant plan. If nothing else, they had to split their forces, right? So that's a good start. So once we got to Hangar B, we found it powered down and full of cargo pallets and bulk loaders and one very pretty Imperial Navy gun cutter. Shane, what's a gun cutter? It's a small, like, 20-person ship. Uh, has a nice big autocannon on the front. And it's relatively maneuverable in, for, like, stellar travel or for planetary operations, surface operations. Yeah, and, of course, we all went, ooh, Millennium Falcon. Yeah, it is the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's got a, a very 40K shape, but it is your, it's your new Millennium Falcon. <laughs> uh, assuming we could get it out of this hangar. If you can get piece. it, yeah. I yeah. Mean, so I basically dangled all of the cargo in front of you or the one shiny ship. Well, I mean, there's six of us, right? So we could take six ships, right? You could. And this was the actual conversation you had as you entered the hangar and started powering it up in order to escape. Yeah. And uh, and so that's what you decided. You were like, look, let's just... There seems to be some cargo already loaded on some of these bulk loaders. Let's take those, take the gun cutter, and just go and then we started thinking okay how many of us know how to fly these things Mm. i mean that's fine like they basically fly themselves right as long as you're going in a straight line i i guarantee they fly themselves better with you in them and no dark eldar than (laughs) than they would if you weren't in them and the dark eldar were attacking you (laughs) unfortunately before we could figure out how many ships we could actually take uh, the dark eldar showed up Right, and this was basically the value of your diversion, is you had time to make something of a plan before they arrived versus walking into a trap. Yeah, we, however, hadn't had time to walk over to the ships and get in them. No, you (laughs) spent a little too much time planning and not (laughs) enough time, you know, running. As always. (laughs) So they started shooting at us, and then we started running. Yeah, so so you had this nice little kiting, running gun battle. Um, I don't know that it was nice. It was really more like... All of us run, and then one of us totally gets blasted. That's... And then someone picks them up or drags them along further. 
a, a classic Warhammer 40k battle. <laughs> I mean, we got the big battle map out. We had terrain drawn all on it. And yeah, I mean, you guys had a, a relatively tactical combat with the goal of getting... Uh, at that point, you had basically abandoned your previous plan and were like, okay, look, gun cutter and go. Yeah. Right. So we drew the map with that as the target. And uh, I mean, Dark Eldar are naturally melee focused. Like their their most powerful characters are all heavily melee so by keeping them at arm's length you did a pretty good job of not losing any arms uh but they still have the scourges which are the flying ones that initially attacked you yeah way back when you first got on the ship Mm -hmm. we remembered them and they were a nightmare like they were able to close down on you because they kind of swooped in and and it it seemed like between them and the cabalite warriors just blasting at you with their splinter rifles you were losing like one man around (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was, do I shoot and then run, or do I run twice as far? Yeah. And almost always it was, I'm going to run twice as far. Right, and then it was like, am I strong enough to carry him? Okay, I'm not shooting, I'm carrying now. <laughs> <laughs> is he alive enough to shoot? Because <laughs> he's not running. <laughs> and yeah, and then the, the Medicaid is like stabbing people with like stim. It's like, okay, they're up, and now they carry the other person yeah. who got <laughs> shot. It's, it's like a leapfrog effect. Yeah. <laughs> it was not going to win you any awards from the Imperial Tactica, but... It got the job done, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, eventually. I think Doc was sitting at the controls of the gun cutter uh, and basically said, I'm leaving. Anyone who doesn't want to die, get on immediately. Yeah, and the gun cutter is not poorly named. It has a big autocannon sitting on the front of it. And so Doc wheeled that bad boy around and forced the the Dark Eldar to duck their heads. Right. Just started shooting and then spinning the ship. Yeah. And then you guys managed to to get the last of you in, along with your orcs, along with some of the humans that you'd recovered. And, uh, yeah, Topsy and Turvey. Topsy and Turvey. Shushar and uh, the Dark Eldar, our Dark Eldar. Yes. Sereth. Also came with us. And then you left. As quickly as possible, yeah. Yeah, I mean, your ship was, you know, it's only been a couple days. It wasn't terribly strange that you hadn't checked in. So they were waiting for you, and you basically hightailed it and then set a course and we'll find out where you went next next week but this week we're talking about fudging the numbers shane what does that weird metaphor mean so we call it fudging the numbers when the gm ignores the results on the die in order to make something else happen with a contested role right so in a sort of perfect model of a role-playing game. Whenever there's any doubt as to what the outcome is, you roll dice and that tells you what the true outcome should be. But because we're also creating stories in this process, sometimes a GM goes, no, it'll be a better story if that failure was actually a success or that success was actually a failure. And we'll deal with those consequences instead. Yeah, sometimes the dice make a dumb story. Mm Mm-hmm. Welcome to Warhammer 40K. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this episode we're mostly talking about GMs. We'll get into players later, but don't do it. Players don't don't put your dice. Yeah, players don't really have license to do that. Yeah. All right. Now, not every GM does this. Some roll in the open, like they roll their dice in front of the players, so everyone can see what they got. And other people are sort of uh, dice purists. They play it where it lies, right? Even if they're rolling behind the screen, whatever number comes up, that is what they go with. Mm-hmm. But most GMs at some point change a role or an outcome. And there's some definite benefits to doing this at times. So I, obviously the first benefit is that you prevent unexpected negative outcomes. Yeah, Shane, have I ever told you the story of the first D&D game I ever played in Boston? No, but I cannot wait to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's in the notes. It's because you know that I love hearing other people's gaming stories. <laughs> Uh, so uh, this was like back in 2007 and I had found a group on meetup because that's what you did back then. And I'd, I'd never met these people before. It was a, to- it was a totally new group. The, the GM was like putting it together. And he and I spent like two weeks via email working on like my 3.5 Ranger like backstory and build. And then finally, like I show up in the basement of the comic book shop and everyone's sort of like, are you cool? Do you think I'm cool? Like, is someone going to like get angry and murder yeah, everybody? You're on, you're on your group first date. Yeah, that's, exa- that's exactly it. It was a like a five-way mandate. 
the very first session, the very first combat, the very first attack, a half-orc with a great axe walked up to my ranger and attacked, and boom, crit. Uh, it was a 3.5, so, so boom, he confirmed. Had, had to roll a confirm. Yep, okay. uh, totally did. And you could see, like, he was surprised. He's like, whoa, crit. And then, like, you know, he very quickly, like, rolled the, rolled the confirm. And he was like, oh, oh. So I could see that he was like, shit. Yeah, and a great axe is triple damage on a crit, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you do the math, that's 3d12 plus 9 if, like, the half-orc has a decent strength. You know, and it's a half-orc, so it does. Uh, his his face, like, fell. And I, I was sitting next to him, and I remember I remember this so clearly. I was, like, looking at his face, and he didn't look directly at me, but, like, his eyes flick left, and he, like, picks up his dice, and he rolls them in, like, these three chunky d12s hit the table. And then... He's like silent for a half second and he says 18 damage. Which knocked me to negative eight <laughs> from from full health. Which means I spent the first combat unconscious and I didn't make a single roll on my own, but I wasn't dead. Because in three five you were dead dead at negative, negative 10. 10. Yeah. Now in hindsight, I don't, don't even think it was like later that session. I think it might have been like months later. I was like how did 3d12 plus 9 end up with like an 18? The chances of that are so, so low. Mm-hmm. Like that is rolling a 9 on 3d12 dice, 3d12 yep. damage. And I remember his eyes flicking and I was like, oh. He looked he, at what your HP total was. Yeah. And he didn't kill me. Mm-hmm. Because like he didn't want to start an entire campaign with all new people by like just murdering a PC. It certainly sets the tone. <laughs> yeah. Now, if this is a Dark Sun game, totally get it. Yeah. You're cool. You're cool. You're cool. Pack up your <laughs> shit. Right. And I could tell, like, he had spent so much time working with me on the backstory of this. And, like, he had, like, plans for this character. Yeah, yeah. Right? But, like, 3.5, first level, like, sometimes that happens. And sometimes you don't want the story to go in that direction. Right. So I got saved <laughs> by uh, by fudging. <laughs> I think another another place that this happens is in older pre-written adventures. Mm-hmm. There's there would be random amounts of monsters or random monster tables. You know, you'd have like a random encounter as you crossed from this nation to this nation, right? And you would roll on the table, and you know, if it were if it was a hundred, it was like two dragons, <laughs> and if it was a one, it was like a friendly band of of uh, minstrels. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, so this is difficulty. Uh, it doesn't really scale fairly does it right roll high and the party dies you just die yep yeah or it would be like you know there's this boss fight and he has 1d8 goblins so this could be two enemies or it could be nine enemies Mm -hmm. and just like any game right nine of something is infinitely more hard to kill than two of something yeah or you remember those old those old tables where it was just like you know 4d10 Hobgoblins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you yeah. do with that? Yeah. Four to forty. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So we're either fighting a hobgoblin army that just happened to be marauding across this forest uh-huh, that no one told us about, right? Yeah. <laughs> like weird that no one would have mentioned this. Like I feel like there would have been some warning from the town criers about <laughs> caravans waylaid, right. or they might have I don't know cut down the forest, yeah, <laughs> in order to build an encampment. But nope, they're just in the road. <laughs> In general, like complete randomness found, sounds fun in theory, but like consider the 5e random treasure tables in the Dungeon Master's Guide. A level 5 horde can have a belt of fire giant strength, which when you put it on gives you a strength of 25, which is stronger than a 20th level barbarian. Yep. That can, that's level 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also, in that same horde, get an Afridi bottle, which also has a chance to have three wishes. Okay, yeah. So the Afridi bottle clearly way worse. Than the yeah, fire although hard, harder to roll. Right. <laughs> Less of a chance, but still a chance. Yeah. Right. There are a lot of games out there. Someone's rolling the Afridi bottle with three wishes. Right. And then some of the crazy artifacts start showing up around like level eleven, uh-huh. and you can't deal with the deck of many things at level eleven. No, and and that is a level eleven horde. Which means the monster was CR eleven, which you a smart party can beat at like level seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you do with the deck of many things? What you do is make sure that you didn't roll that. Exactly. Another reason to fudge is sort of what my GM in Boston did. It, it's to further the story or maintain the tone of the game. 
imagine like at the end of a long campaign, there's the final showdown with the evil warlord that the party has been, you know, preparing for, for eight levels. But just in this session tonight, for some reason, the GM can't manage to roll above a five. You know, it's been two rounds and it's been three, three, one, and a two. Mm-hmm. We've all been there. It's happened. But like, that's not an epic showdown. Sure, the PCs are succeeding, but it's not going to be any fun because there's no challenge. And it makes these players who have prepped for so long feel robbed of a just victory. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, great, this badass warlord we've been hearing about and like prepping for couldn't hit us. We could have just stood there. Yeah, I mean, there is a school of thought here that what that te- what the dice have told you then is that that wasn't the big bad, right? That there must have been something about that character that was off and that the big bad must still be lurking. That's certainly an option. However, what if everyone knows this is the last session of the campaign? I, I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> what if Bell Shaler couldn't roll above a five? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that wouldn't have been very Bell Shaler-ish. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's that's one thing where you want to avoid coddling your players avoid murdering your players but make sure that they're at least getting a rewarding experience out of the combat regardless of what the dice are doing yeah i think a theme with adjusting the dice is you're trying to move things more toward the middle right all of the outliers maybe if you happen to roll four crits in one session which i've definitely seen happen maybe you want to dial that back a bit if this is supposed to be a random encounter. Mm-hmm. Or think about the scene where, you know, the whole party is running and it's a heroic escape from like a collapsing tunnel. You know, oh, rocks are falling everywhere and we're dragging the prisoners out. We've already killed the BBEG. We're just, we're escaping, right? This is the escape scene. Oh, yeah, that was my favorite part of Rogue One was when they were trying to run away from Saw Gerrera's hideout and then Jyn Erso died in the <laughs> collapsing rocks. <laughs> I, I Look, I think it was a controversial decision, don't get me wrong, <laughs> killing a heroine like that, but I thought it was great. It, it, I laughed in the theater. I, I was like, this is brilliant. Best best Star Wars film yet. Uh, you know, it really helped me maintain verisimilitude. Right. Like, sometimes in the real world, that happens. Right. No, I, I think the die roll are there to add tension to the situation, right, to, to give you the sense of the unknown, but you want that to be tied to the setting and the tone as well, right? So if you're in... Uh, a setting that is designed to kill characters, right? You're playing Dark Sun. Mm-hmm. You're playing Dungeon Crawl Classics. Even Warhammer 40K to a degree. Maybe it's okay for a character to die unceremoniously. But if you're playing Eberron, right? You have action points for a reason, right? right? Like the the whole setting was designed to be heroic swashbuckling and Indiana Jonesing. Indeed goes back for his hat. He doesn't get caught under the door in the process. Right? <laughs> he didn't like, lose an arm. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the 40K way is, oh, vanity costs you your arm. Right. The, the the Eberron way is, of course you get your hat back, and it's super dramatic. Right. The Dark Sun way is you die of exposure, yeah. and the vultures pick the flesh from your bones. Well, Idiot. Because your arm got stuck. <laughs> and the rest of your party left you to die because they need the water. Right. <laughs> <laughs> trying to gauze that wound would have oh, just been, yeah <laughs> not worth the papyrus <laughs> the halfling ate you <laughs> and then the one that i think is probably the the one i identify most with is that it speeds up gameplay mm. um that's you know that old adage of RPGs is that it's the only way that a minute of combat can take an hour and an hour of conversation can take a minute. If you've got just hordes of enemies, sometimes you want to pre-roll. Sometimes you want to just take an average roll. Sometimes you just want to throw random damage at random targets Mm -hmm. because rolling individuals and confirming crits and doing all of the various steps that go into calculating modifiers and all those things, it's just not that fun. And it's not critical to that core gameplay experience that you're looking for for your players, right? Like, I don't need every single goblin to act max tactics. I need them to throw damage at my party so that I can then mow my way through them. Right, I need to soften them up for the the dragon. Right, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So if it turns out that you've thrown too many easy minions at your party, like, they're going to mow through them, right? They're going to 
kill one goblin each per round because they can swing their swords one time mm-hmm. per round. Yep. Uh, so it's just going to take six rounds for them to get through all the goblins. Right. Except that you've got that one player who always rolls low, so we're gonna, <laughs> now we're up to eight rounds because that person isn't carrying their weight. Maybe after they kill five goblins, the rest of them get spooked and run away because in the game, everyone sees where this is headed. Right, right. That's that's the other thing is that mop-up duty. And, and a lot of times we just end combat mm-hmm. early and we say, okay, like, would you pursue them and kill every last one of them? Probably not. So we're just going to draw this combat. Uh, you win. Um, other times you've got that situation where the combat isn't fun anymore, right? The dragon mm-hmm. is out of abilities. It's not really a threat. They're just working through it. They're wearing it down. You get a dramatic crit. Great. He's out of HP now. Yeah. You know, like dragon dead. You did it. Um, it's just not worth getting those last, you know, two dozen hit points. But I wrote down that it had 223 hit points when I designed this encounter, mm. and they only did 198 damage to it. Fudge that roll. Oh. Post facto. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes fudging the numbers doesn't necessarily mean changing the number on a die. Sometimes it means changing numbers somewhere else. Or changing the modifier. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, he has a negative four to wisdom saving throw. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Oh, did I say that was a standard check? I meant it was a minus 30. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, sometimes if you want to continue a story, you have to make sure that someone survives. So in a certain kind of game, you do want to prevent a TPK, especially if it's happening because of the randomness of the dice and not because your party made a dumb decision. Yeah. So, you know, a few failed saves here, you roll a few extra crits, one really nice dragon breath, and that's the difference between a fight that was supposed to be taxing, you know, but not the end fight, and one that is going to be a complete wipe for your party. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you can work that into the story if you want, but sometimes there's just no way to do that. This is like the final gauntlet toward the end of the campaign or the arc. Well, and there's also just the, it's a, an ability thing too right like as a gm you have to maintain that level of circumspection to to see the big picture and figure out how do i deal with this mm-hmm. <laughs> right in in the narrative like that's not an ability that every gm can do realistically so there's no harm in saying i'm just going to fudge the numbers and avoid an outcome that i don't understand how to how to then gm yeah and we're not saying prevent every tpk you know like a tpk has its place mm-hmm. but not every TPK that the dice say happens needs to happen. Yeah, the TPKs that you want to happen are the ones where the PCs deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> right? They walked in unprepared. They, you know, they were foolhardy. They were, <laughs> well, spoilers for what will happen to Draco eventually. <laughs> but, you know, he... Uh... Drank a bit too much whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his player drank too much at the session and uh, started harassing a high-level gunslinger. A well-kitted gunslinger. Yeah. Hey, you know, it gave the rest of us a recurring villain. Right. (laughs) It's also possible that the party knows that they're up against, like, a big challenge. And they're willing to take it on and the risks. If that happens, yeah, I say, let them die. They're like, there's not a great chance that we're going to take out this dragon. But with some luck... We can do it. Mm-hmm. And they go for it anyway. Yep. Well, if the luck's not on their side, luck's not on their side. Right. But I think if you're the kind of GM who is trying to tell like a cohesive story that, that continues, a decent rule of thumb is a PC shouldn't die a meaningless death unless they are actively doing something dumb. Words to live by. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we sold you on the benefits of fudging the dice. Now... Ishan, how do we do that? Don't let your players know you're doing it. Yeah, never do that. I don't think this has come up, but there, like in the Morning Glory recaps, there were definitely times when you would say, oh, here's what happened. And I was like, well, that's that's not how I remember it happening. And I was like, oh, like I, I fudged that or like you guys assumed something and i was like yeah, i'm just gonna go with that and pretend that like that's what i intended to happen yeah <laughs> and like even in the recaps i was like nope don't bring it up don't bring it up everyone's gonna enjoy the story way more if you don't say like i lied yep <laughs> <laughs> little white lies that gms tell to players yeah that's what makes a game 
Yeah, and and the reason why is just that part of playing a role playing game is that that degree of verisimilitude, mm-hmm. and it makes players feel like their decisions don't matter if dice are being wantonly manipulated and openly manipulated. Yeah, the trick is to weave it into normal gameplay so that players don't know what it is that you're changing and that they don't think about what it is that you might be changing. You Mm -hmm. don't want that on their mind. And I I find it interesting, like you and I talk a lot about, okay, sometimes I will change the outcome of, of dice, right? But when we're playing 40K, when we're in the session, I am never thinking, oh, Shane is gonna like have this enemy dodge my attack or not dodge my attack, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that speaks to how well you are, how good you are at weaving that into the story that I'm not sitting here going, oh, well, that was obvious. Like he obviously made it so that like this uh, battle is speeding up or that like it's more difficult for us. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an art and it's it's about reading the people at the table and really how much fun they're having, Mm -hmm. right? That's, That's really all I'm looking for. And I roll dice regardless of whether I intend to honor the dice. (laughs) And I always count them, right? And I always do the math and I just see like, okay, well, could I justify a minus 60 modifier? Okay, it works. (laughs) Or, oh, it doesn't, you know? Like I just, I do that quick math so that if anybody ever asked, I could explain it, Mm -hmm. which is probably even a step further than necessary. You cover your ass. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a really good liar like that. <laughs> Not even talking about D&D. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's life. <laughs> the best lie is the truth. That's, ooh. Um, to this end, right, I think it's important to try and roll in secret at least some of the time, probably most of the time. Mm-hmm. It becomes very obvious if I was rolling in front of everybody and now it's like, oh, I need to roll behind my screen. You know, it's like, Okay, there's some fuck going on. Thanks, GM. <laughs> right. In the middle of combat, I suddenly pull out the screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, this is either going to get much better or much worse for us. But importantly, the flip side is not true, right? Like, if you're usually rolling behind a screen and now you're like, okay, I'm going to roll this in the open, right? Because it's a pivotal moment mm-hmm. and I don't want you guys calling foul on me. Right. I'll just roll it in the open and, and just the act of rolling it publicly adds the tension that you need. Yeah. Because everyone knows, like, there's no pulling this punch. Right. Um, And so that's like, you know, and and in 40K, there's a a lot of silly side rolls and tables and that sort of thing. But one of the things that we always roll openly is, like, when we have warp phenomena Mm. or, uh, you know, any type of mutation or stuff like that, it is roll those dice public because we all want to see those numbers and then dig through our books. So when you are changing things, you want to make sure that you are changing them in a plausible manner, you know, something that is within the realm of of possibility like don't change things that have already been established if earlier in the combat an attack roll of 16 missed it's really hard to explain why suddenly a 15 is hitting yeah especially if your system doesn't allow lots of changes to ac right right Uh, remember the like for example you cannot deal less than 50 damage with a disintegrate spell it does 10d6 plus 40 yeah and and that's i mean that's a planning thing too right is knowing the lethality of your abilities mm-hmm. um was it finger of death that i think it's like 70 10 oh no i'm uh power or kill it just insta gives you yeah right under 100 if, yeah boom, if you're dead low hp you're dead now there's no save you just have to know that um and and that means that if you're gonna bring it out you either need to do it on a on a character you're pretty sure is going to die or a character who is very close to it that you're very confident isn't <laughs> <laughs> Because it doesn't make sense to bring it out at somebody in full hit points, and it definitely doesn't make sense to to put it on somebody who's severely wounded if you don't want them to die. Yeah. And if you have already established that, like, they're, the party is facing this bloodthirsty wizard who loves to kill people and always has disintegrate pact, like, if they're going to use it, you would need to explain somehow why is it that they're not using disintegrate. Right. Uh, and if if that character has less than 50 HP, they're gone. They're mm-hmm. gone. Yep. So I think we're kind of hinting at the next key to this, right? Which is to telegraph the changes with things that happen in-game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a player has no way of knowing if you're making it all, all up on the fly or if everything is going according to the plan that you laid out when you were prepping. Yep. 
and, and so the trick then is to give them reasons to suspect that things are happening, right? Describe things with enough detail that they can they can latch onto the details and use those as explanations. That way you're not having to explain why things have changed, but they're assuming something is going on that you have hinted at that they're not getting. Yeah. And that's enough. The doubt is enough. Yeah, if this Umber Hulk really needs to die sooner than its HP indicates, you can, ahead of time, describe how grievous the wounds look before whatever you decide will be the killing blow actually lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other the other classic for intelligent enemies is when one or two of them fall, right? The remainder kind of look at each other nervously, right? The idea that you don't have to kill every single one of your enemies, you just have to kill enough to convince the remainder to flee. And that's also a reward for uh, players or characters who are particularly perceptive. Mm-hmm. You know, like if people don't notice that, you can actually throw that out and be like, hey, you, the scout, here's something you notice. Yeah. It can even happen after the fact if necessary. Like if you didn't plan well enough and like telegraph it ahead of time, but you just made a thing happen, you're like, okay, I really need to provide an explanation for why this occurred. This is another one of those subtle GM arts. Yeah. You just, you have to try it and hope it works. But yeah, so, you know, once you get done with the fight, you look at the bodies and you realize, oh, these goblins had terrible weapons. That's why they weren't hurting us so much. Mm -hmm. Or they were starved. They were very weak. That must be why you killed them so easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not not any fudge dice at all. <laughs> right. Uh, why my, did my athletics of 11 knock down this like big wooden door, this stout oak door? Yeah. Excuse me, sir. That has a DC of 17. <laughs> uh, well, if you look at the hinges, you notice they're rusted. Right. Or, or three people had already been bashing against that over the past few days. <laughs> Full of termites. Right. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) You're actually on a Hollywood soundstage. (laughs) The entire facade falls forward. Yeah, All of you happen to be standing in windows. Right. (laughs) And of course, if the dice do go your way, like they present an opportunity, it's not necessary. Don't go out of your way to provide the explanation that then makes it seem like you were fudging something. Right? The dragon got critted. Great, it dies. Mm -hmm. You're done. Yeah, that's cool. Describe your kill. Yeah. Everyone gets that. Oh, that crit killed the dragon. Sure did. Yep, you got me. (laughs) Killed the dragon. And of course, after the fact, you can also explain those implausible outcomes that maybe you were sort of backed into a corner that you ended up using. If the 16 missed their AC earlier, but later you did let the 15 hit, you know... Maybe you describe how like their armor had bits of their armor had been knocked off, and that's why their AC was lower. Yeah, or um, it's always nice with like a rogue or or any type of sort of finesse attacker, right? Like uh, tendons were severed. You know, you you hamstrung him. He fought through it, but ultimately succumbed. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you are actually telling your players what is happening, when you are looking at the dice, and the words that are coming out of your mouth are not what the dice say. Mm-hmm. You really want it to seem like whatever is going to happen is what you intended to happen. So if you roll a crit and you see the 20 come up and you go, oh, shit, you probably can't take that back. Yeah. Like they know you were rolling an attack uh, and they know there's really only one reason that you would say that like that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like it's going to be hard to tell them that was a critical fumble. <laughs> right. Like, like when you roll in that one, you don't go, oh, whoa. You go. Uh, Uh, yeah (laughs) well he missed (laughs) (laughs) there's also an element of kind of commiserating with the players as well Mm -hmm. right like if if you need to put them in their place with a high damage roll right still within the realm of plausibility but you're going to quote-unquote roll all eights nines and tens on those dice you do the quick math and you go "Ooh, i'm sorry about this 55 damage yeah right (laughs) it's like it was out of my hands. Sorry. Right. Does it matter that you got mostly ones, twos, and threes? Nope. Nope. You winced. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. You don't want that monster to die yet? Keep writing down the numbers when you're tracking its HP. Like, they can hear your pencil on the paper. Yeah, I am very bad about this. <laughs> well, that's okay. We're usually, like, pretty deep into our cups at that point. Yeah, I, I mean, like, there's there's additions and subtractions and certain things, like, discount certain numbers and you know the the damage system in oh 40k is awful yeah yeah so running rogue trader now like i try and keep a rough tally but 
at the end of the day, I'm just like, close enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, I'm pretty sure it's like, I always know when it's into critical damage, but I'm always like kind of just shooting from, you know, where my thumb lands on the actual total number. Well, the nice thing about um, Dark Heresy 2nd Edition is like, death only comes from the chart. Right. You know, you have to like check the critical table and that depends on the type of damage you're doing. So you get a few extra seconds to be like, wait, let me leave through. Yeah, exactly. What is crit? Uh, eight. Oh, eight's definitely dead. Right. Eight and, is dead. And the other thing is that the difference between four and the di- and eight on that chart is typically like permanently incapacitated or mm-hmm. impossible not to kill next round versus actually dead. Right. Uh, the only time it's really bad is the super high ones often have... Expl- like explosions <laughs> after the fact right and those are the ones where i'm like oh you did too much damage sorry bro <laughs> when i am keeping track of hp I, I usually have like a piece of paper in front of me and it has an hp total that i've written down right and i'm subtracting as damage is being dealt uh sometimes you know enough damage is dealt that oh this creature is now at negative 17 i just cross out the previous number and write negative 17 and say okay Who's next? Yep. Right? And then in my head, I just say, uh, it'll die at negative 50. Yeah, exactly. And then I have magically given it 50 extra HP. Yep. I just set a new target number. Yep. In the same way, if you need a second wave of reinforcements because this battle was too easy, just use the same stat blocks that are already right in front of you. Either, you know, have the same creatures show up or reskin them on the fly. But don't ask someone to hand you the monster manual and then leaf through it and then send those new monsters. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's obvious that you were three quarters of the way through the book, and the new monsters that you're sending at them begin with S. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Always go from your notes. Yeah. Right? You don't want to be looking through a physical book if you can avoid it. That's that's just another tradecraft move, right? Is that you can you can be looking at anything if it's something that you wrote. But if you're looking in a book, there's just physical clues as to what's on the page. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you don't need to do all of this on the fly, like in seconds. You don't need to be amazing and improv to do this. You can buy yourself time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I count on my fingers sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to count on my fingers sometimes. <laughs> I, I just always assumed that you did. Nope. <laughs> I'm multiplying by nines. Sometimes I very much do need to count on my fingers. Also, dark heresy problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you can just look like you're doing math. Uh, I look at the ceiling and I just mutter random numbers. Yep. Uh, another thing is to ask players to look up specific rules, mm-hmm. right? Like, hey, can you go find that table? Or I think there's something about that ability that you use. Can you double check that? Yeah. And the additional benefit with this is that you're also distracting players, mm-hmm. right? The person who's looking it up, the person who's handing them the book, right? They're not noticing how much time is going by while you're trying to figure out, crap, what do I do? Yep. And then a good fallback is just, Roll some dice. Mm-hmm. Look at them, puzzled, and then announce what happens. Right. Uh, concerned look on your face? Roll them again. Yeah. <laughs> Write down a few numbers, make sure that pencil's making a scratching sound. Maybe roll them one more time. <laughs> and announce what happens. You definitely didn't make this up. Right. Yeah, you definitely had a little chart there to see what happens in just this case. You're a DM who loves tables. I do. Yeah. Everyone loves tables. I have, I have, I've shown you guys enough tables to make you suspect that right. I have lots of tables. <laughs> you must have it somewhere. And I do. Ultimately, I think the best trick is silence. Like, if someone suspects something, if someone wants a reason, just shrug and smile. Yeah, that wry smile. Uh-huh. Let the players come to their own conclusions, because you're the GM. You don't need to explain the behind the scenes of why this happened. Unfortunately for this to work, that means you also can't explain the behind the scenes when you don't have to roll or when you don't have to fudge, right? When the, when the dice actually work in your favor as well, you also can't be like, oh, I didn't even have to fudge it. You know, it's like, okay, thanks for ruining everything else we've ever done. Right. (laughs) Sometimes you just need to like crow in your own head Mm -hmm. and let the fact that the story went off well be your reward. Yeah. I mean, or start a podcast and start recapping your games. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's the only Even other way Even then, to do it. sometimes you have to bite your tongue. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you do want to share those gaming stories, though, like I would definitely recommend looking at 
uh, large forums where you can share those kind of stories and kind of get it off your chest, right? Especially if they're the places that, you know, your players aren't visiting. Um, it's always nice to kind of like, hey, here's a really cool thing that happened and I did a thing that made my players have fun. Yeah, right? and you can do it anonymously. Exactly. And then have everyone, have everyone yell at you. Right, about how you did it wrong mm-hmm. because your players obviously didn't have as much fun as they could have if you just done my plan. Can't believe you fudged dice. You're the worst. Embarrassing. You're what's wrong with this hobby. I don't fudge dice, you shouldn't. I create stories. Yeah. <laughs> I forge stories in a crucible. <laughs> it's called a dice tower. <laughs> all right. All of that said, there are definitely times when you do not want to be fudging dice. Yeah. The first time is all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, if the numbers don't mean anything, there's too many of them that the players have exposure to. They will figure that out. Mm-hmm. Right. If if there's no internal consistency to the math, right? If a fifteen hits this round but doesn't hit next round every round, then the players are gonna start to figure out that like, all right, we're playing Calvin Ball. Right. They're going to know that you're just making all of this up on the fly, which isn't fun for anyone. Why use dice? Mm-hmm. And there's just too much to keep track of, and we very much prefer less work. Mm-hmm. And then also don't lean into fudging if the players are already suspicious of the outcomes, right? And a lot of times they'll say things like, oh man, again, or like, come on, how many times are you going to roll a crit, right? And it's those types of times when you're like, hey, maybe I might fudge off of a crit if I roll one, right? Or maybe I might start putting my rolls a little more public. Yeah, sometimes what I do is like the next time there's an implausible roll that happens, like I'm like, oh, like I... so." make the reaction even bigger i'm like oh and then i like lift the screen yeah exactly you know? oh my look god at look funny. at that oh my god <laughs> the other the other thing you can sometimes do is like if you do have a screen and you know you lay out all your dice right you separate them like mm-hmm. d20s here d4s here whatever uh just make sure you've got a couple like one of them on 20 yeah yeah that's a that's a clever little trap <laughs> oh my god look oh wow <laughs> i have no idea that you rolled the purple die and, and <laughs> right. the green one <laughs> So there are some drawbacks, obviously, to changing the numbers. It is something that, as a GM, you can definitely get addicted to. Addicted is probably a strong word. but it No, can, no, no, it's an addiction. It can definitely be a crutch. Uh, it really should be covered by my insurance. It's not. Hey, look, it is the only thing that's not a pre-existing condition. <laughs> These days, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, crutch, I think, is the, is the perfect word for it. You lean on it too much if like the story's not going your way this isn't what i planned Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where if all the roles are predetermined and whether that's because you rolled them you know an hour before the players got there and you're just picking the next number off the list or you are actually just making up the numbers as you go along um the game just feels like railroading you know, you can tell the story you want in exactly the direction it's going to go, but like all you're really doing is forcing the players to play in your novel. And I like, I guess there's there's a degree of fun to that, right? Um, to be led along by the nose and and get to be part of a really really cool story. I get that, but to me, what makes game mastering fun is not always knowing what's coming next and being genuinely surprised by my players' actions and letting the dice do things that I did not anticipate happening and figuring it out. Yeah. It's also more work in the moment doing it all the time. Like sometimes it's nice to just do the math and go, Oh, okay. That happens. Cause yeah. that's what the rules say happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you know the rules, it's very easy to use them. Yeah. Remember that the point of fudging the dice is, is to tell a better story, not necessarily the story that you have prepared ahead of time. Because mm-hmm. that story is probably not the best possible story, let's be honest. Especially one that you wrote. Talking to you, dear listener. Oh, I thought you were talking to me, dear co-host. Also true. But that's almost certainly true. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also the risk of getting caught. Mm-hmm. And there are... This is not behavior you want from a player, of course, but there are players who will try and catch you or take a peek at your notes or sort of, Oh, he's on the, you know, the R section of the monster manual kind of players. And if they break that barrier and they see that you are actually fudging numbers, that's going to be a huge problem for your game. 
Yeah, they could justifiably get a bit upset and feel like, why did I bother building a character? Right, yeah. And if they're doing it in an underhanded way, I feel like maybe you give them a little bit of in-game retaliation. Yeah, I think this is probably like one of the very few times that's okay, right? Like, excuse me, were you were you like looking at my notes for this session? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that that gets a GM lightning bolt. Yeah, <laughs> is what happens. <laughs> like, I yeah, I you know I I prep this for me <laughs> to to give you this session, not so that you could look through my notes. Uh, at our table, we have lots of one d five corruptions. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you gotta you gotta peek in behind the veil yeah. into re- reality. Oh God, that tears your mind asunder. Yeah, did, did you just try to use the scientific method to reason your way out of this problem? <laughs> that sounds like heresy. Your faith is not nearly strong enough in the emperor, son. <laughs> All right, so players, don't do it. Yeah, just don't fudge them. Just don't. It might work short term, but it, like, trust us, it makes the game less fun. And everyone knows you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not keeping it a secret. Yeah. We've noticed the pattern. Yeah. And, you know, like we said, don't try and catch your GM doing it. Try and get lost in the story, right? You will have so much more fun if you trust your GM and trust the other players around you and just be part of the story. That said, Mechanical abilities that let you manipulate die rolls are really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they let you dictate the direction of the story a lot of times, which is super fun. Yeah. Get as many of those as you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see in the forge. Yep. So GMs, those of you who have not tried fudging the dice at all, give it a shot. See what happens. Do something small. Practice a little bit. Yeah. Maybe... Don't play out those last two goblin deaths. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's uh, my pencil scratching out negative HP. You should start writing on paper and not on bronze tablets. But then how will my work last? (laughs) (laughs) All right, speaking of work that won't last, time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We are also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Clutch. Shane, what was the inspiration for this build? Our actual player, not her characters, <laughs> <laughs> our actual player at our table, Stephanie. Yeah. Uh, Steph has this remarkable ability to roll poorly no matter what. Uh, she is the Fate Weaver. <laughs> she is the master of all stories. And... We know that a role was important if she succeeds at it. Right. And if she does not succeed, then it clearly was not a pivotal role. Pivotal R-O-L-L in our story. Obviously. Because otherwise, she would have succeeded. Right. She is clutch. (laughs) That's what she does. (laughs) It's become a chant now. Yeah. Like when we need her to succeed. (laughs) (laughs) But then And then if she fails... Due to normal dice variations, it's like, oh, don't worry, it wasn't important. Yeah, it's We fine. just found out this isn't the big bad. Right. <laughs> in uh, our fourth edition game, like several years ago, Steph knew, like she was like, I always roll badly. Like if you, if it's a game where you have to roll high, I always roll low. If it's a game where you have to roll low, I always roll high. She was like, just give me a character that, that can succeed at this, you know, mm-hmm. that I'll be okay at. And so I built her a character that... In four, in five E terms, always had advantage on every attack roll. You always rolled twice and took the better one, uh, and she still managed to miss quite a bit. <laughs> it was also a character where if you missed, you dazed yourself. <laughs> so she spent a lot of time dazed. That sounds about right. Uh... But this clutch here today is a character that is well built for the player who has bad luck with the dice. So we're going to get a lot of re-roll abilities, some uh, additional bonuses you can add after you know the outcome, or after you know the total of your roll, mm-hmm. and then some immunities. Uh, yeah, immunities are great because you just, I succeed. Right, yeah. By not rolling. I refuse to roll. Right. 
All right, so what's the build, Ishan? It is Devotion Paladin 8, Fiend Warlock 8, War Cleric 2, Divination Wizard 2. All right, this is going far afield. Uh, I know we're going to take a feat. It's going to be lucky. Yeah, that's actually Steph's favorite 5e feat. Yeah. I think all of her characters get it. I mean, of course. Because she needs it. You get to re-roll a d20. That's right. Three times. For race, we're actually uh, going to go to Volo's guy. This is the first time that we've used this race in the forge. We're going with Hobgoblin. And that's because they have an ability called Saving Face. If you miss with an attack roll or you fail an ability check or a saving throw, you can add a bonus to that uh, equal to the number of allies you have within 30 feet of you and a maximum of plus five. I think usually in a normal sized party, that's going to be like a plus three or more because mm-hmm. who knows? NPCs, depending on your GM, maybe familiars will count. Will count. Yeah. And, and I mean, I loved this as a flavorful ability for the Hobgoblin, but mm-hmm. you, you want to reflavor this as like, Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, did you think I was going to miss? Oh, no, you just didn't see it go in. <laughs> I'm clutch. Wait for it. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, you, you shoot the three-pointer, and then you walk away back towards your basket, right? Like, you don't need to watch it go in. All right, so we've got Devotion Paladin, which is going to give us immunity to charm, disease, and then gives you the aura that's going to have either a plus four or a plus five to saving throws. You get extra attack and great AC because you're in full plate and you got a shield. And you can hop on that smite cycle because you've also got Warlock. Yeah, so every time that you crit or need an extra boost of damage, you'll use your Warlock slots to charge up your Divine Smite. And then after a short rest, you'll get him right back. Then we have Fiend Warlock, which naturally you make a pact with the devil for Dark One's own blessing and luck. Exactly. The pact... The specific pack you make doesn't really matter. It could be chain to get a familiar because maybe that counts for your hobgoblin ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it could just aid another uh, many times and give you advantage in a lot of different roles, which yep. is going to make it easier not to be terrible at it. Right. Uh, a tome is also good because you could grab uh, guidance or resistance because just you roll terribly. So why not get an extra D4? Right. Yeah, those are great cantrips. And, of course, yes, Dark One's Own Luck gives you a re-roll once per short rest on a saving throw or a skill check. You'll also get four invocations. You could take the Eldritch Blast invocations, which is nice because that gives you four opportunities to hit. So, you know, if you miss, not a huge deal. Unfortunately, you can't smite with those, though. Right. You could take the Sight invocations. No rolls required. It just makes you better at seeing stuff. Uh, I also like Book of Ancient Secrets, which gives you a few extra spells to toy with. And then you get fourth level spells, so you'll get Hex, which gives you a little bit of extra damage uh, on your marked targets with your Paladin attacks or with your Eldritch Blast. I really like Crown of Madness uh, because first they make a saving throw, so you don't have to roll anything. And if they fail it, then they attack their, ally. their allies. Yeah. You, again, don't need to roll it. Right. This is especially great if you have a GM who, ha- who tends to roll really well. Yeah. <laughs> Hold Person and Hypnotic Pattern are great spells for any class, and they set you up for laying out a really big smite. And it turns out that you're actually really, really good at a counterspell or dispel magic because you can throw on those extra dice at the end if like, you feel like you weren't able to counterspell something high enough level. Right. So then we've got War Cleric, which gives you uh, plus 10 to hit once per short rest. That's right. your channel divinity. Yeah, I, I really like this because a plus 10 to hit is pretty much a guaranteed hit, right? Like, even on a 2, that means you effectively rolled a 12, and 12 will hit most things. Mm-hmm. And then you also got a ton of cantrips. We already talked about Guidance and Resistance, and then the Bless spell, which gives a bonus D4 to attacks and saving throws for allies, uh, and potentially including yourself. Right. Divination Wizard, you get Shield, which is one of those things where I really need to survive yeah, right I, now. I want to not die from this. <laughs> Thank you. A ton of cantrips, and then also portent, which is at the beginning of every day, you roll 2d20, and then you can replace a roll. This is for when you absolutely, positively need something to happen. Right. I'm not even going to roll, actually. I'm just going to go, boop. Right. That's what I got. Yeah, also, Divination Wizard can get uh, Absorb Elements, which is another handy yeah, mm-hmm. um, damage reduction sort of survivability spell. So that means that this character, uh, each short rest, gets one guaranteed hit 
gets a can boost a saving throw or a skill check and can boost a saving throw skill check or an attack. And then each day you get three full on rerolls and two no rolls. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty clutch to me. So Shane, who is your clutch? Uh, my clutch was a hotshot athlete in her hometown. <laughs> I, I'm not exactly sure what fantasy sport they play, but I'm sure it's some variation of ball. But, uh, you know, she was known for having icy veins. She was never afraid to take the penalty. She was always good about, you know, catching the ball at the last minute or whatever it was. So she just kind of got nicknamed Clutch. And then when it came time to take up the sword and defend her village uh, or take the king's coin or whatever it was that got her into the adventuring life, that luck, that icy veins, that that never-say-die attitude just carried on. Uh, and so she is like the the consummate athlete turned professional killer, professional killer. I never miss. Right. Sorry. How about you, Ishan? My clutch is a failure. Oh. Yeah. Uh, she was a paladin for many years, very devoted, but just bad at everything she did. Couldn't hit with her sword. Uh, fireballs always hit her in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a bad habit. Right? I know. (laughs) So she's like never had eyebrows. (laughs) They grow back eventually. Does regenerate work on eyebrows? (laughs) And of course, as a paladin, you have charges, you have missions, you have people who depend on you. And one day she just failed the wrong mission and was kicked out of the temple in disgrace and realized she needed to find something else besides her devotion to her god to help her succeed more often oh yeah so naturally she turned to (laughs) the forces undermining her deity (laughs) the infernal i i think you know a devil saw an opportunity. Mm-hmm. A forlorn paladin walking away from a temple. Huh. You know what? You feel like you could use a little bit of luck. Yeah, I, I like that. That reminds me of our gambler build, where where the idea would be that, like, using these abilities, you might eventually be able to get that role that gets one over on your patron. Mm, yeah, yeah. The, the, the role that frees yourself from your patron, like, actually might succeed. Yeah, I like the idea that they're using their patron in the same way that the patron is using them. Right. It's it's a very business relationship. Right. Which I think is why also later they explore, you know, uh, different kinds of faith, right? Uh, a god of war mm-hmm. who is like, I don't really care that you're working with a fiend. You kill things. Right. Yeah. And you kill things really well. Really good. <laughs> and then eventually saying, you know what? Forget chance and fate. Let me just look at the future mm-hmm. and see what's going to happen and then just do that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I like that. All right, if you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review in the air. You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. So we're going to split this one because it is a full paragraph, but it is numbered. So this is my three favorite things about this podcast, five stars by Sugar Buzz. Number one. Approachable content without being patronizing or overwhelming. No mansplaining here, folks. They've helped me understand the game in ways I basically assumed I'd never get into. Number two. The integration of the lore, history of D&D, and mechanics commentary is great. I definitely wouldn't come by that on my own. I've said out loud, oh, that makes so much sense now. More than once, thanks to these two. Number three. Actual nice humans. I sent them an email with a question for my campaign, and I got a thorough, specific, and helpful response the next day. They really are as nice as they sound in the podcast. I came for the DM advice and stayed for that and also everything else. Thanks, guys. I think number three must have been for a different podcast. Yeah, I can't promise that we're always going to be that responsive. She probably caught us on a good day. Also, we're not very nice. Well, there's that. I like that. Okay, so this review says we're very nice. Uh, but friend of the show, Matt Perotti, has definitely told me, hey, yeah, I like listening to you guys because uh, every episode, one of you is the jerk. Yeah, <laughs> you guys <laughs> trade turns being the jerk. <laughs> I think we figured out it's whoever 
writes the notes for that show, the other one is the jerk. Right, because we just get to poke holes. Yeah, well, it's like, uh, you know, when you went to class and you hadn't read the book. Right. <laughs> it was like, well, I'm just going to riff on what that guy over there is saying. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds dumb. I'll not have that. <laughs> I will also say I think no mansplaining is probably the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. Certainly on the internet. <laughs> yeah, mostly people talk about my mom on the internet. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. in mean, the abstract. Right. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing our series on playing non-human characters, and we're talking about gnomes, which, of course, is your favorite race. That is either true or false. At Mundangerous, tell him all your favorite gnome stories. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Breach Gnome. That's a gnome that was born feet first, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's one that wears short pants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like mid-calf. Great. Sounds good. <laughs> Gnome fashion. That's my fetish. <laughs> and that is it for episode 94 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 